listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. It can be something B2 brilliant. B2 bold, a B2 breakthrough force that helps you B2 beat expectations. How? With the platform B2B marketers have been waiting for. A platform with tools you need to build B2 better relationships, to drive results that B2 bash KPIs while B2 boosting ROI, and to B2 boldly go where no marketers have gone before, all in a trusted environment that respects your business. So prep your marketing to B2 blast off and tell those built for B2C sites that you'll BRB because LinkedIn is where B2B is everything it can be. Get started with LinkedIn ads and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash advertise to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash advertise. Terms and conditions apply. And now on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. I am going to admit something to you. As you know, I get a lot of pitches. People are constantly pitching me their company. They want me to write about them, include them in the magazine, be on this podcast, whatever the case is. And there is one class of company that I simply do not understand, like almost at all. I just, I don't know what I'm looking at. And that is Web3 companies. Web3, maybe you're familiar, a new iteration of the World Wide Web based on blockchain technology, incorporates concepts like decentralization, and there's this whole token-based economics thing going on. And anyway, look, I understand it in theory, and I've heard people talk about it, but generally speaking, you know what the problem is? Generally speaking, I see a company, and they say they're Web3, and they're doing something that is familiar to me, and I don't understand why it has to be Web3. Like, okay, for example... I recently got pitched this company called Galaxy. That's C-A-L-A-X-Y. And if you go to Galaxy's website, it calls itself the open social marketplace for creators by creators. And then it lists all these things that fans can get by essentially paying the creator through Galaxy. So they can get video calls. Want to virtually meet and hang out with your favorite actors, uh, athletes, musicians, stars, and creators? Okay, it says that. It says direct messaging. Ever wanted to say congrats to, you know, an athlete on a win or something? Now you can do that with direct message and chat. You can vote on big decisions like what shoes should they wear on the court or or uh, what song uh, musicians should write next. And uh, it keeps on going. There's, uh, you know, uh, drop-in audio jams. Tune in uh, to exclusive live audio with drop-in sessions. I'm just reading from the website here. Anyway, you know, you get the idea. It's sort of, it's a mix-up of a whole bunch of different things that you can get through existing fan engagement platforms. Like there's a kind of, a, there's a little bit of uh, a cameo in there and there's some Patreon in there. And anyway, so I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, well, look, that makes sense. People like engaging with creators, totally get it. Why is this Web3? Why is it Web3? What about this is Web3? Why, why, why? And so anyway, the pitch, the pitch kind of tries to lay it out, but I just, I just, I struggle to understand it. So 
the person writes, let's face it, creator-fan relationships are fragmented. Since the emergence of Web2, fans have grown accustomed to a one-way transactional street of following and consuming, seldom feeling fulfilled by their interactions with high-profile creators. Celebrities have limited and segmented tools for engaging with top fans and managing their personal brand. However, the interpersonal potential of Web3 presents an alternative and solidifies the current dynamic as unidirectional and disengaging. Okay, so that my tiny brain can't wrap its head around all of that. But what I'm reading is it's saying creators and fans have a very kind of one-way street relationship and Web3 is going to open that up. But then again, I I look at the services provided and I, and I, I don't understand how it's going to open it up. I don't understand why this technology makes anything different. It just perplexes me. And so I thought to myself, you know what I have? I have a podcast that people will talk to me for. <laughs> so maybe... I could just say, hey, I would like to talk to somebody from Galaxy for the sole purpose of basically asking why. Why Web3? What are you talking about? Please explain it to me because I don't get it. And Galaxy uh, was happy to oblige. That is a very common question that we hear all the time. This is Rusty. So uh, my name is Rusty Matthew. I'm the chief strategy officer of Galaxy. I've been an entrepreneur, you know, an investor for about 50, a little over 15 years now. So getting up there. And Rusty, to his credit, just couldn't have been more gracious because I basically came in, I, I set the conversation up and I said, Rusty, I don't understand your company and I would like to, but I'm also going to challenge you because I feel like people have a lot of questions about Web3 and uh, you're the guy on the phone, so you get to answer for them. <laughs> and so that's what you're going to hear. I found this conversation completely enlightening, but maybe for reasons that you wouldn't expect. So that's what's coming up after the break. Here's a true story. There was a time when people would sign up for my newsletter, which meant that I would get an email alert and then I would have to manually plug in an email address to the newsletter so the person was subscribed. Why? It's a long and complicated story. But anyway, the point is Zapier fixes exactly these kinds of problems. Zapier helps marketers make the most of technology you already use. Connect all your apps, automate routine tasks, and streamline your workflow so you can convert more with less chaos. Easily connect over 4,000 of the most popular apps that marketers use every day, like Google Sheets, Slack, and Facebook lead ads to automate almost any workflow imaginable. So for example, have you ever dreamed about automating routine tasks like following up with your marketing leads or cross-posting on social channels? That's Zapier. See for yourself why teams at Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and thousands of other companies use Zapier every day to automate their business. Try Zapier for free today at zapier.com slash PSP. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash PSP. All right, we're back. I am talking to Rusty from Galaxy about what on earth Web3 is and why his company is a Web3 company. And let's just start with his explanation of what Galaxy is. Yeah, Galaxy is the you know open social marketplace for creators by creators. And while that's a nice you know tagline, one of our co-founders is NBA player Spencer Dinwiddie, who now plays uh, for the Dallas Mavericks. Our other co-founder is a gentleman by the name of Solo Cisse. He was also a Division One football player, Penn, and happened to go to high school with some you know current NFL players and, and other other sports uh, athletes. And so we have this really natural ecosystem or network of of, of creators that are essentially first degree of separation which allowed us to get an early start at really focusing on getting creator input and kind of, to your point, do people want this, right? So we, we were trying to figure out what's the problem. Is there a problem? Let's start with that. But what's the problem? What can we do to improve it? And, and sort of where is there space to, you know, to innovate? And so 
we're, you know, we're this interesting mix of like an experiential marketplace that allows really fans or, or you know, users and creators to, to be connected much more directly and more authentic than other platforms, I would say. And, you know, we're not a zero sum game type of play. Like we're not, we don't need to, we don't need other legacy platforms to go away for us to exist. We're very complimentary and collaborative. But yeah, this is a place where, you know, a user can go and do something as simple as, you know, have a video call with a creator or something completely different. Like, hey, I, I want uh, this DJ to come to my birthday party and play my party. Like it's kind of, it's this whole mixture of the sort of digital and physical and, and experiential and, and the flexibility, I guess, and I'll stop here, the flexibility and the custom nature of kind of what any creator can offer, the sky's the limit because it really isn't about what we offer. It's about what a certain creator does and what his content looks like and what's the, you know, the modality of that content, if you will. Right. Got it. Okay. So, well, let's just dive right into where I start to get confused because a lot of what you just said there makes total sense to me. Consumers enjoy contact with the creators that they like. And some of them, not all of them, but some of them want some kind of interaction or engagement. They want to feel special. They want to join a fan club in the same way that I joined fan clubs in the 1980s uh, of like Green Day, you know, uh, but which yeah. back then, or I guess this is the 90s, not the 80s, but in the 90s with Green Day, which back then was mostly like receiving things through the postal service. But what I am confused about is why anybody needs to buy a token backed by the blockchain mm -hmm. to access any of this, because that that is the premise that Galaxy has here, right? You buy this token yeah. and then you gain access to these things. And I see what you're offering and I think, well, these are good services. I, I see some of them available in other formats and other platforms right now. Why does anybody need a token to do this? Great question. And, and I love the throwback mail, uh, postal mail comment there too, just how far we've come, obviously. Yeah, look, it's it's one of those things where, you know, there's a school of thought that says like, you know, either you're a believer in sort of the future of blockchain or you're not, right? That That's sort of like one, but that's that's kind of a cop-out, right? That, that's not the answer we're trying to kind of dive into here. Really, and, and notice, as I even explained what Galaxy was, I didn't even necessarily say a social token platform or an NFT platform. We really believe in bridging this gap, right? And, and I'll get into sort of the nitty gritty, but bridging the gap essentially through UX, through user experience, right? We, we, if you looked at our platform and once, you know, once we're more broadly available, uh, people will feel very familiar, at least that's the hope, right? It'll feel like an Instagram or like a Twitter and it'll be very sort of web to native. And that's again, by design and deliberate. And, and we have that on both ends for the creators and for the users because we want people to be you know, comfortable and, and they're used to certain behaviors and paths and we don't want to necessarily redefine or you know, redefine the wheel or recreate the wheel, if you will. So the, the, answer, the simple answer is, there is no simple answer, but the, the answers are around, I mean, just in all transparency, right? The answers are really about like things like risk of deplatform, right? Risk of sort of centralization and, you know, fees and that kind of stuff. Like if you're a large creator on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere else, again, we don't necessarily want you to leave by any means, but you are at, definitely at risk at either being deplatformed, at fees changing, you know, today Apple's charging you 33% tomorrow, it might be 40 or 50 or whatever. And so we really wanted to shift the power and give the tools to the creator. So that way they own the platform, they own the network. And, you know, like as a starting point, you know, maybe we have a fee that's 15%, which is about half of what sort of industry averages. But tomorrow, if the community votes for it, it might be 5% or zero. And so that kind of shift in power and, and is part of this. The transparency and... and wait, 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 before you, before you move on to those things. Yeah, so it's interesting because the because deplatforming and fee shifts are two things that I think of currently as controlled by the platform that you're using. Now, 
you may be operating on blockchain, but you have built a platform and you are the gatekeeper for that platform. You're not going to deny that. And, and I would imagine that if somebody was a creator on your galaxy and then started getting international attention for just being horribly racist and abusive right. to people, you might say, you know, I'm not so sure that this person is the best representative of Galaxy, as would be your right, because I understand that everybody get, flips out uh, in a political sense uh, about deplatforming, which, to be fair, is a pretty uncommon thing, but it does happen to some people. And it's generally because they're doing something that are outside the kind of social norms. And in those cases, we can debate whether or not that should happen. But I think right. we do run into this problem where people are like waving their hands and saying freedom of speech, freedom of speech. And people don't really appreciate the freedom of speech is actually a protection from government stopping you from speaking, which right. is not what being deplatformed on a platform is. That's not the government acting. That's a private business deciding what's best for their exactly. business. So I don't entirely understand this. So can, can you kind of explain that? Because I would imagine that you would want to make decisions about who does and does not best represent the experience that you want on Galaxy. And then also, you are taking a cut. This is your business model. You're taking a cut from transactions that happen on Galaxy. So are you saying that you no longer are, off, are, are going to be in control of your own business model? Yeah, all great call-outs across the board. Uh, I guess we'll start with the last one first, just because it's right there and fresh. So sure. it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a sliding scale or a spectrum, and it's sort of like day one compared to day two and day three, right? So today, as we start out, yeah, there is definitely an element of centralization because you're right, we, this is you know a private company, we started, et cetera. There are other things, you know, like foundations that are sort of out there, but I don't want to go too into the weeds. Essentially today, we would have some, some elements of control, but the moment that there's, meaning like when we open, let's just say it's June 1st or July 1st, right? the moment we open, we fully expect and we'll push the community to start essentially engaging in decision-making. And while it might not be an overnight process, there is in fact a goal, a stated goal in, with, internally in the company that, you know, maybe it's by year five or by year two or sort of wherever, you know, wherever that lies, that yes, the, the platform will in fact be, you know, won't be a, a true like DAO, but it'll essentially become member controlled or member owned, if you will, right? And that, I think that will reflect things like if you're a creator with, you know, 100 million followers and you're actually active, well, your economy, or you know, to, to that original question of sort of why tokens in general, you know, you might have a hundred million dollars, roughly speaking, of your token out there in circulation, which is pretty, you know, pretty impactful theoretically. And so, therefore, you can now, you know, make it, your votes count for more, or you know, you kind of have a little bit more skin in the game. Um, theoretically, the way that we were set up too, Galaxy Inc., the app and the platform, can go, you know, if things launch successfully, can go away. And you as a creator, you know, Jason, you have your Jason token or, or whatever you would, you would call it, that lives on. You can go to other protocols, like we're already interoperable with Ethereum and Polygon and other places that we will be. And so you're not actually centralized, you're not locked on our platform, at least, you know, moving forward. Day one, I guess, yeah, this is where you originate. So that's kind of that portion. And I'll, again, I know there's more to unpack there. Diving into the why blockchain or why tokens is your first part of the question. Again, it really just circles back to this to this concept of like, ownership, right? Ownership of both IP and your own community and your own fandom and your data and like all of those things like, you know, that, that we all kind of think about. And, and again, it really feels like, you know, as we were talking to the creators, we asked sort of what the pressure points were. And, you know, we talked about deplatforming is not so common, et cetera. And all great points, especially about the freedom of speech aspect, right? Not being private business associated yeah. more so government. But, you know, looking at looking at someone on the far end of the spectrum, like like Joe Rogan, right? One of the you know, the top podcasters, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, there's been some controversy there, et cetera. But he and the way we view it, like the power should be in his sort of, you know, in his realm. If his community and his fans want to support him, want to, you know, 
patron his, uh, his content, like they should be able to do that regardless of sort of the platform standards. Again, assuming there's nothing like crazy going on. So content moderation is really a difficult thing that, you know, even the Facebooks and Twitters of the world that have, you know, billions and billions of dollars of market cap are still struggling to solve to this day. We, we're seeing that like, you know, live real time. Right. And so, Although, uh, yes, yeah, so, sorry. Uh, I, I, and I don't want to make this whole conversation about deplatforming because there are a lot oh, more interesting things, but let me, but actually if I can just, because I think the Joe Rogan thing is an interesting way of understanding the point that you're making. So I just want to tease it out a little bit more. Please. So Joe Rogan is getting paid a reported $200 million from Spotify to be exclusive on that platform. And now he has said, many controversial things that has led a lot of people to scream that Spotify should deplatform him. Now, to deplatform him would actually, funny enough, just make him more widely available because if he wasn't exclusive to Spotify, he could just distribute his... The only reason he's only on Spotify is because they're paying him a lot of money to be on Spotify. And if he left Spotify, he could be everywhere, including Spotify. And so there isn't really an active threat of deplatforming. Now, if there there was, um, Joe Rogan could say, indeed, he could say right now, you know, I would rather make my fortunes by having all of my fans pay me directly. I would imagine that he has probably done the math on this and decided that he could get more money from Spotify than he could directly from from fans. And so, I mean, otherwise he would have, the market speaks. Otherwise, why would he not have? I mean, I guess because he doesn't want to ask his fans for money, but if he doesn't want to ask his fans for money, I don't know why he would want to ask them for a token uh, purchase either. So anyway, the point is that I don't know exactly how this solves a problem because because if he wanted to ask his fans for money he could do that right now he could do it on patreon or any number of other mm-hmm. services so 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 could you just explain to me how joe rogan could be in a problem which he is not right now let's be clear because he doesn't seem to be at any risk of being lost if losing his deal on spotify but let's just say that he does and let's just say he runs into some kind of problem where people aren't able to access him or that he is able to be accessed everywhere but is losing monetarily because maybe advertisers are backing away from him and he doesn't have a lucrative deal from Spotify. How does blockchain solve this problem for him? What would be the thing that he could do because of blockchain that he couldn't do already using existing platforms? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I definitely would would protect, you know, would love to sort of chat more on do, has he done the math and kind of figure that out. There might be yeah. a million other reasons. For sure, why, I, right? that's just a guess, right? Yeah, totally I get it. no, no, it's a valid, and I don't know him either, right? Not speaking on yeah. his behalf and all that stuff, but no, no, it, it's again, it's all a very fair and valid point, right? Sort of why blockchain? What? How does this solve this? You mentioned Patreon, etc., right? I think that in the world where, like, if he in fact gets the platform, there's probably some serious social pressure that's happening across the board. So, like, for him to just jump to Patreon, that Patreon might get that exact same social pressure, for example, right? Whereas, regardless if it's Galaxy or you know, or any, you know, any of the blockchains out there or any of the platforms out there, if he's truly on blockchain and it's you know in a decentralized fashion, again, he's not stuck to any platform. Kind of like you were explaining earlier, he can go ahead and gate his entire sort of universe, whether it's his merch or his tickets or you know, he can truly just decide. And, and again, let's talk about shifting the power. Right now, it's a great call out to say Spotify paid him two hundred million dollars, or advertisers are you know backing away, etc. My like wonder, and, and I feel this way about a bunch of other topics too. Like like for example, like bowl games or college football, but we'll digress at a different time. If they're willing to pay Joe Rogan X amount of dollars, that clearly means that there's value beyond that X amount of dollars that they're after, right? And whether it's the audience or some kind of conversion or whatever it is. I mean, even when Spotify announced the deal and paid, you know, I don't know if they paid him his money day one, obviously, I assume they didn't, but, you know, they said that was a 200 or $100 million deal. Well, their market cap shot up by like $8 billion that day. Right. You know? So clearly, again, there is a much more, a much bigger pool of value that that's 
other groups are after. And so it's this kind of weird landscape where essentially platforms or really advertisers kind of define your market, your value based on sort of their perception of your audience. And now that there's, you know, I assume that's a pretty accurate perception, right? Because this is not a new business. They've been doing this for some time. So it's really, again, about someone like a Joe or even someone that's up and coming to say like, okay, there's this value. It's inherently there. Clearly I have demand. What can I do to the point of doing the math to say, hey, I can charge a dollar or $5 or whatever a month or $100 a month and really shift away and completely be independent? Again, you need to have an infrastructure or a platform, whether you do it yourself or join another group, sure, or join many other groups, but it's still inherently there. And look, there's there's definitely an education gap. I mean, most of our creators, and we have over 200 at the moment, uh, you know, they don't necessarily know what what MetaMask is or what Ethereum is or what, you know, Hedera is or any of these things. And that's on sort of the whole community to change that and it'll grow over time. But again, it's all, it's all kind of part of that aspect. We really think about consolidation, right? So kind of like a one-stop shop. So I know there's like Linktree and there's other groups that kind of do similar things where they make it easy, ease of use, kind of improved, you know, for, for your flow. But we just kind of see it as like, if we can get, if we can show creators, like, look, here's your power. And we can talk about that here in a minute. You know, here's some tools, here's some pre-existing utility cases, like we have, again, video calls and other types of things. And then here's your custom box, go do with it what you want to do. I think that, you know, that shift of power, as soon as there's use cases out there, will quickly show and, and kind of snowball, right? And, and, and it gets to that, it gets to this place of like, of that tipping point is, is probably what, what I'm trying to get to. Now, does that answer the question of why blockchain or why token, why tokens? It still kind of doesn't, and I acknowledge that. I think again, the, the long ter- the long term view on the, on that answer is it's it's yours versus like you're part of a different ecosystem. Even something as simple as like, oh, Instagram doesn't pay me for thirty days or sixty days or after the fact. Just that alone is, is is one angle here where you know the speed of your transaction is much more you know much different and transparent. The the, the other angles too are around things that are like things that are a little bit less tangible and a little bit more like. I guess, <laughs> intangible, if you will. And, and what I mean by that is essentially getting people rolling on, on, on and feeling comfortable in, in, in this way where, again, they're not reliant on, on some platform, and us included in this, in this example, they're not relying on this platform to, to go and sort of just be themselves and they're truly become like an independent thing. Like it's your galaxy. And I know I'm saying that in a marketing buzzy way, but it ends up being like your profile just like anywhere else. But you can completely disassociate from our platform and still live on in your economy as long as you have that community that will actually buy it and follow you. So it, really, it all becomes about that give and take of like, will your community go with you or, or engage with you? And are you offering things, content or engagement that's worthwhile? Hey, just jumping in here. So we have mostly talked about so far what I would call outlier issues. And so after the break, you're going to hear me push Rusty to talk about the average person, the non-controversial person, the person who doesn't necessarily need Web3 to protect them from deplatforming. What about that coming up after the break? Hiring great employees and keeping them is part of the growth plan for your business. Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to small and medium-sized businesses so you can retain talent and grow. We're talking about access to top benefits, help with compliance and payroll, even when your team is remote or out of state. The works. Because Trinet gets it. Your people matter to your business. Learn more about their HR solutions at trinet.com slash podcast. That's T-R-I-N-E-T dot com slash podcast. Trinet. Incredible starts here. All right, we're back. Just picking it up where we left off. So let's just kind of put a marker here and say we're now going to move on from 
potentially sort of issues related to potentially very controversial people. And, you know, let's just say that it's, it's uh, me, a person who aspires to be as least controversial as possible, or you're, you know, your founder, an NBA star who, who clearly is not um, going around trying to say inflammatory things. So, so that's, that's your, that's going to be your primary con- creator. And so how is it, you know, how are these things useful? Now it's interesting that you, it's interesting the idea that you could take the relationship with the consumer off platform should you want this is something that a uh, you know a newsletter platform for example will make very clear why should i use mailchimp well i use mailchimp because it has a suite of services and if you use it great and if one day you decide that mailchimp no longer works for me no problem we don't own the connection to your user you do you just download mm-hmm. a big spreadsheet of all your email addresses and you can go import that into substack or something else and off you go so is that basically what you're talking about? Because it's not like if somebody, if I was using Galaxy and I had 10,000 followers on Galaxy, who would all purchase this token and had some kind of access to me. And I was providing them with videos and chats and whatever else is the technology that you guys built that I am using. If I left, I all I would have is, I don't know, I guess a list of people uh, who had purchased the token, but I wouldn't I wouldn't have actually a way to engage with them because I would need all of the, I would need a suite of services to do that. So I'm not totally sure how it's useful to me to use that unless there are a whole bunch of competitors to Galaxy mm-hmm. who are just sitting there waiting for me to import my user base into them in the same way that I could import my user base from Mailchimp to Substack. Is that basically what you're saying? It's close. I think there's a couple of degrees of separation still, but yes, right. There is that element of you owning, you know, it's your sort of your audience, your, you know, your IP. I mean, when it comes to even things like minting NFTs, right, we have a whole really easy to use solution where you can mint NFTs, which is again, a big thing that's out there. But even that taking that off platform, again, it really becomes this thing of not chicken and egg, but you, you mentioned competitors and other platforms, right? So without going into detail, you know, we have other competitors that do social tokens or just in general, other groups doing social tokens, but at the sure. current version of that, it really relies on you, the creator, to go and figure out integrations. Exactly your, you know, the point you were just making of like, well, what can I do with this, right? I have to go make my own app or make my own website or make my, you know, or try to API into something else. Yeah, nobody wants it's, to do that. Nobody wants to do that. And again, that was sort of the, pre- the really the, one of the press, um, sort of the thesis and the precipice behind why we built the sort of platform that we did with the utility built in was because that was a gap. Like we saw social tokens, we liked the concept, we believed in it, but there was no one really building a strong use case. And unless you have a huge team and you're, you know, you're willing to put that effort out there to go and build something, it's, it's, it's probably not even worthwhile, let alone, you know, let, let alone like it's a resource strain and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there is that element that we want you to stay on a platform, of course. And again, in the future where it's decentralized and, you know, it's not sort of the Galaxy Inc. team that's now controlling it or owning it, it kind of becomes a, almost like a community space, which was one of our hopes and sort of thoughts and goals too, of this is, you know, this is everyone's. It's out there in the ether, let alone brands and other things that come into place down the road. Again, not to slowly shift, shift subjects, but yeah, it, it, it's that case, right? It's this like, this is yours. You want to go somewhere else with it by all means. If you want to take your NFTs and go sell them on OpenSea or anywhere else by all means, it's just a tool, you know, really just a tool. Yeah, we have a social element, we have a platform, but that's just to prove out the use case and to show you, you know, to show you the user, here's a whole bunch of utility use cases that you can do and here's some case studies. So does this mean that I try to, I want to understand the 
at the most surface level, because if you go any deeper, I will not be able to follow you. (laughs) But from a technical standpoint, do I hear you describing Galaxy as like a platform that people could build onto themselves, like an app store or Roblox, where people can come into this ecosystem, have access to tools, and then create their own thing? Because I'm trying to understand in a practical sense what it means when you Mm -hmm. say this is your space, we want you to create. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, the, the last example you just gave there in terms of like building on top of it or, you know, Roblox, et cetera. So within the Galaxy ecosystem or the Galaxy app, let's just say that within the platform, we have, you know, again, these pre-made features that you can quickly toggle on and off, right? That might be, again, an audio call, a video call, a shout out, a follow, like that kind of stuff. But then we have a custom feature and that exists for both you, the creator and your audience. So as for, for, for a user, like an audience member, again, I might say, hey, you know, you're, you know, you're a podcaster or you're a DJ or you're a chef or a comedian. Hey, you know, come do this private event, like wh- whatever the, the example is. As a creator, you know, we, we were actually really fortunate to have a big, big variety of creators. So on in the platform, like we have like again a chef and a comedian and like those kinds of growing an esports, you know, athlete and that kind of stuff. And their use cases are drastically different, right? They don't want to just do a video call. Like someone wants to do a, a private class or a public you know, class one to many or, or those kinds of things. And we just allow you to essentially craft that out or make that offering and post it up and, and get bids or whatever for it, right? So in the case of, for example, someone wanting to offer an event-style service mm-hmm. or something that isn't pre-programmed in, this doesn't require them or anybody to develop any kind of new technology. This is largely a way for them to just list, functionally speaking, yes. new services that only they might provide and a, you know a button to begin facilitating. Exactly, Jason, right? It becomes, it's a marketplace for whatever you want it to be. So if you want it to be sort of IRL, right, in real life type right. of stuff, yeah, absolutely. If you want to have dinner, you know, win a chance to have dinner with you know, Shaq or whatever, right? You can do that. Uh, it just depends on you. Your, your your previous question about, you know, can you do this sort of Roblox or something that's sort of off, you know, off platform? Absolutely. Like we've had conversations with, you know, with large, you know, universities, conferences, private companies, public companies that want to take this sort of this model and just white label it for themselves. And, you know, without, again, without going super into the weeds, while you can have your JSON token, right, and mint it right on Galaxy and then do whatever you want with it, as we just explained, other groups might want to have a full on, you know, again, uh, you know, company X token, like kind of future of loyalty type of stuff, but they don't want it to live on Galaxy or maybe in parallel to Galaxy, they want it to live on their own website or their own app or whatever it is. You can completely do that. Again, if you have the resources and team to build on, on our protocol and we have, you know, we do in fact have a protocol that's built on, on, on HTS or Hedera token service, HBAR as an ecosystem. And so, yeah, you could do those things too, but that's sort of a step or two beyond and we don't expect that to be most of the use case for most creators. In fact, we think that's more, you know, more towards the brand's world. Got it. So, Galaxy describes itself, and you've used this line a couple of times, as by creators for creators. And the conversation that we've had has largely been about what the potential benefit of this kind of system would be for creators. I'd like to shift for a moment to ask you about the consumer side of it. Because let's just say, let's just maybe take as a given that there are a number of creators who are excited about the flexibility and opportunity that can only be provided by these things that are Web3. Does the consumer understand or care about any of these? Because right now, you, you've told me about things that are you know basically just benefits to the creator. A consumer has what I presume to be mostly a, a simpler set of needs, which is, I like this basketball player, I would like to be in touch with this basketball player. Now, some of them, some 
smaller subset might be aware of NFTs or feel like they would like to own something that maybe is resellable or something. But I, I, you know, my suspicion is that that's the majority of consumers who are thinking, first and foremost, I want to be in touch with this basketball player. So having Galaxy as a, as a kind of token-based system where people to engage with the creator have to engage in some way with the idea of Web3 or blockchain or crypto or something, are you finding that, that is a asset, a barrier to entry, a thing that is difficult to communicate? Or is there some clear value to the consumer here in addition to value to the creator that I am missing? Yeah, and this is uh, this entire, I think, conversation has been great questions all around. So sorry to keep saying that, Jason. But yeah, it's, a, it's exactly the right call. I agree. Well, thank yeah, you. It's a good call out and it's a good observation. And, and thank you for... Yeah, and thank you for just like constantly, uh, 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 happily engaging with it because I, I, this is this is very cathartic to me. I feel like I'm just able to ask everything that I always wonder when I read these things. So okay, go. I, I very thank much you. enjoy conversations that are that go, you know, that go into this depth. So by all means, um, so yeah, I think that there, there's a couple things and good observation on even calling out that you know we've pretty much been talking about the creator centric approach. And if you remember at the top of this uh, conversation, that's exactly kind of how what we set out to do is a deliberate effort because of again where we are position wise. And I like to say even to investors like if i had started this company you know me and the cto for example it would not work the same it wouldn't feel the same it, creators wouldn't look at us in the same light right we, we would just not be in that inner circle and i think that's a big big deal here in terms of the the user base not that we you know we, by no means that we have ignored them it's been very much a little again a little bit unorthodox in the terms of being creator centric but we believe that especially with the creators that we have and you know, i think right now our current creator audience or their, their natural um following on, on legacy platforms is a little north of 200 million people. So it's, you know, it's potentially quite a large audience. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, it's nothing to do about us. It's everything to do about the creators, right? So it's about what, what do the creators, like how much do the creators open their world and what kind of sort of like democratization of their life decisions or their, or their, or just the access and exclusivity to, the, you know, to their world, do they want to give? And sort of that's the value, right? That's the draw. If you build it, they will come is not something I'm saying about if we build Galaxy, users will come. It's more about, you know, is Ezekiel Elliott offering, you know, a chance to have, you know, win a ticket to the game or, or grab an NFT of him or come to training camp is, you know, is Iman Shumpert who just won Dancing with the Stars, is he going to, you know, offer like a private dance class? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So really, you know, we, we push that, that like that onus of the creator of the users coming much more into the creators than ourselves. And of course, like we're not ignoring it. We have our own go to market thoughts and, and sort of marketing campaign strategies of how we will engage. But at the same time, you know, we're not delusional to say like, you know, we have the power again. The intention is to shift the power to the creators and let them let them bring their communities. And it does create a little bit of a sort of catch 22 or chicken and egg thing especially as we're like in beta and kind of going through these stages because yeah, like I don't want to bring on, you know, Zeke Elliott's 5 million users if Zeke's not active and on here and vice versa. If I bring Zeke on here, but his audience isn't here yet, sort of like what is there to do, right? And so there, there's definitely been that challenge and we've all been heads down working towards that. But overall, again, it really becomes this kernel of like, if, you know, if creators are willing to open up their world or how much ever they're willing to put out there, that's what they're going to get back. And that's sort of the bottom line. And, and, and even you know, sort of monetarily. Right. It's interesting because I, I'm going to float a little bit of a hypothesis here. I, I know we're basically at, at the time that we committed. So, but, um, but I'll just, I'll just kind of end with this point here or question, not a point. I get the feeling from what I've read and the conversation we've had here that in a way, because it's such early days, that a lot of the value of Web3 is slightly hypothetical, right? Which is to say it's useful technology. It has all sorts of assets. It can, it's a lot more flexible. It can do things that 
Web2 technology cannot, but because it's not out in the world in a full way yet, and because most people aren't interacting with it, or at least not consciously interacting with it, they don't exactly know what to do with it. And therefore, the creators who are utilizing it don't necessarily know what people are going to do with it. And, and which is, I think, the reason why a lot of the answers that you've given me, and this is my own hypothesis, but you tell me, the reason that a lot of the answers that you've given me are basically like, well, it will be useful once people are using it. Like, it will it's here because it gives options and then we'll see what the use cases are as they develop. And so one, well, actually, before I continue, is that a fair assessment? It's a fair assessment. It's a fair assessment. I think that yeah, the, the perceived value will change once the once there are you know offerings out there. Like for me to paint the picture without any offerings or any use cases, yeah, of course it's difficult to you know to kind of place it or put a finger on it because no one to your point, the creators and the users are just not used to that aspect. Some creators are, of course, like like whatever ten percent or something. But overall, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. But I'll, I'll unpack that after your next question. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. So one, let me tell you a quick little anecdote. The anecdote is this: a number of years ago, a academic at MIT named Sherry Turkle, uh, who maybe you're familiar with because you live in the area, uh, who who writes all these books about how technology is destroying human connection and the ability to have conversation. I, Personally, I think her arguments are ridiculous, but she wrote this piece in the New York Times as just yet another Sherry Turkle column about why technology rips us apart. And it opens with her walking around LA with Aziz Ansari. Mm. Now, this was pre-Me Too, right, right. Aziz Ansari. And so he is a non-complicated, just you know, beloved comedian figure at this point. And anyway, what she describes is people coming up to Aziz and asking for a selfie. And Aziz uh, declines the selfie, but instead offers conversation. He wants to talk with them. He wants to offer a meaningful connection. And these people don't want this. They're kind of confused by it and they're uncomfortable. And after a minute or two of conversation, they walk away and uh, Sherry sees that they are, claims that they are unfulfilled. And uh, her argument here was that this is a sign of something that has gone wrong, that the desire for the selfie, for the technological connection has has overridden what was the more natural human connection. But I read it totally differently. What I read was that Aziz was actually being a total jerk because what he was, he was, because people don't want a conversation with him because they don't know right. him and they don't really, they don't necessarily even want to know him. He's just a guy on their television and they like his work. And what they really want is a selfie with him that they can share with the people that they actually do know, their friends. And yet what he has done here is he has robbed them of that and then kind of forced them to have an interaction in which they don't really know what he likes or whether they're wasting his time. They're totally uncomfortable with it. And, uh, and as they should be, because who wants to have a kind of weird interaction with someone that they don't know how to talk to? And anyway, the reason why I tell you this story is because when I see new theories about what people want in terms of interactions, I sometimes wonder if we are layering on top of it our own beliefs or expectations about how the way that people interact now is not the way that they want to interact. When in fact, it's possible that the marketplace that exists was built around the way that people do want to interact. And when you introduce new things, sometimes you discover that what you've done is built it on a hypothesis based on maybe what one side wants, but the other side doesn't. And that's uh, to be honest with you, something that I th thought about when your whoever publicist first reached out to me because they sent me this uh, this this piece 
that you had byline where it starts, let's face it, creator-fan relationships are fragmented. And this is a very interesting hypothesis, although I was kept just kept wondering, is it true? Is it borne out in the real world? Possibly. Creators don't want to spend any more time with their fans. Possibly fans don't want to spend any more time with their creators. And do we actually know, or is this basically, we have this technology, let's put it out, let's see what people do with it. It's possible that what they will do with it resembles uh, exactly what they do with the existing legacy technology, Mm -hmm. but we just won't know until we try. So there was a very long half answer, but I would love to, or half question, but I'd love to know. Great, great anecdote. Yeah, look, so we, through what we've done so far in terms of, you know, our research and our conversations and kind of our R&D process, both with creators and users, you know, it's, it's a limited sample size of some of the single digit, like low thousands of, of creations uh, kind of on the high end. Look, there's an element, again, of knowing your own audience. So as I heard that story and that anecdote, my thoughts were, and you know, I'm familiar with this, I'm sorry, I know, he, you know he's written a book, so he likes to have those types of conversations, in fact, for like anecdotal reasons, it seems like. To me, it seems like, you know, there's a it actually proves what I'm saying. There's a disconnect between even what his expectations of his own audience are and not knowing what that looks like. And quite frankly, I think there is a, there is a little bit of correlation. It's not, it's not binary. It's not always this way, but the larger the creator, the tends to be kind of a bigger disconnect. And there's a lot of reasons behind that, even motivations, right? Like financially, like for, you know, for someone that's, you know, an NBA player making, you know, 10, $20 million a year, even single digit millions a year, you know, maybe five or 10 grand or a hundred dollars or $500, for like a video call or something like that doesn't really move the needle, you know? And so like, they, yeah, yeah. They, maybe they're past that and they're over it. And so for me, that just tells me that they need to create, if they care, they need to create another another channel, another another path for whatever that engagement point is that that's meaningful to them and their use and their and their and their fan base. And we're not again, we're not here to force that, right? We're not here to like to you asked about sort of the business model much earlier. We're not. You know, if 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 you're, if you're engaging and active, that's already enough for us because a there's you know there's other elements, other revenue channels for us. But we we don't care about that. We really just care about you and your community. One of the kernels of our whole idea was Spencer again, our co-founder, at one point tweeting out to the world when this actually happened, right, saying, "Hey, I'm a free agent next year. Like, what team should I join?" Or I think he actually said something a little bit further than that, saying, "Hey, like, if you guys give me X amount of Bitcoin, I'll join any team for for the minimum for the minimum contract." I mean, that was tons. He wasn't actually seriously <laughs> going to do that, but that kind of concept, and and, and you know, on a much smaller scale, hey, I'm playing the Lakers tonight. What shoes should I wear? So, like, taking all these little simple, you know, opening up of your own world, like, hey, what you know, what product should I review? What dress should I wear to the red carpet? You know, whatever that. I mean, all the way to the end of the spectrum of like, this could be a you know, choose your own reality like TV show kind of. I mean, that's extreme, but you got to get what I'm saying. It really all just falls at the feet of the creators. And I'm not trying to like, to, to like, you know, back away from the question. It, it, I think it's just to me, that is actually just the truth, right? And you ask sort of what the advantages or what the value, or at least the perceived value for users can be. Again, it, it comes back to the offerings, but it's like, you know, is it clout? Like in your, in your example of Aziz, they wanted a selfie to show their friends. Okay, so like the concept of, you know, hey, I was there, or I saw him, right? That's a clout moment that you want to do and then post on your social or, or whatever you want to do with it. And so like, building a little bit of a, not just a paywall, but building like a fan club around your own exclusivity or your own access is kind of what, you know, what it's somewhat about, not, not entirely, but somewhat. And so like, you know, the Joe Rogans or this, or Aziz example, I could see, you know, like that's sort of the value of like, look, if you were part of my fan club, you get access to this early, or, you know, you get certain things that you only will see, and I'm not going to share to the general world, or I'm going to do, you know, again, a lot of this is sort of like tried and proven web two sort of strategies. And again, there are separate Web3 ones as well, but it just, again, depends on your audience. If your audience is not Web3 native, you wouldn't go do those things. And so can you, know, can you go and you know, offer like raffles or giveaways or basic stuff that's already out there 
but you're doing it in your own universe and to your own community. And, and, and it's, it's that whole realm of like, you know, can you grow that way? And yeah, there's a world here where if, if creators do not, do not lean into this, then yeah, then we have, you know, we have a challenge and we have to solve that in a different way. But at the moment, we believe based on everything we've done that, that there is in fact a world for this. And there's in fact a market and a demand for this. And we actually find that a lot of the middle class, which is you know, the sleeping giant of the creator's economy, is in fact the people that know their audience well. They know exactly you know, how, to, how to game, monetize, engage, and all that kind of stuff. But there's just an inefficiency and a better way to do it. Because right now, if you're like a, you know, an Instagram, sort of you know, whatever, an Instagram influencer of some kind or, or a TikTok influencer, you kind of have to go through these different steps to, to engage. Whereas we're, you know, we're offering you this kind of one-stop shop to a tool set to go do everything in once and then go ahead and distribute to the other places as well. Got it. Rusty, I so appreciate you indulging my many questions and would love to check back in at some point after you're live, after you've seen how some of this plays out. I think it'd be really interesting to revisit this conversation then. So thank you for now. And thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate it. Great, great conversation. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.